everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the FearCast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety treatment, phobias, stuff you can be afraid of, um, and treatment, and how to live better, how to live better with anxiety, how to get through anxiety, how to live life despite the fact that... Um, Sometimes we're nervous and stuff. So um, I'm your host, Kevin Foss. I'm a licensed clinician, and uh, I specialize in the treatment of OCD and anxiety disorders. Um, and uh, I'm your host because uh, I have a microphone. So um, that's pretty much my qualification for running a podcast. So I hope everybody's doing well. Um the pandemic is still going on, so uh, for those of you in the future, I'm here from the past to talk to you. Um, the pandemic kind of sucks. So, in case you're reading about it in the history books, it's not great. It's not the worst, I suppose, but, you know, it's not, it's not great. So, to all of my returning listeners, thank you so much for continuing to come back. Um, and for everybody who has asked questions, I've got uh, a bunch of them in my inbox, and uh, I'm going to try to be cranking those out. Um, for those of you who are new to the podcast, first, thanks for joining. Nice to meet you. Um, this is a podcast that is meant to be a question and answer based uh, show. So if you have questions about anxiety and anxiety treatment and how to work through it and how to get better or how to communicate to family members who have anxiety or having or having to communicate to family members about your anxiety um, and how to do that, how to work through that stuff. That's what this podcast is about. This is a show for you and about you. So if you have a question for a podcast or for a podcast episode, go over to fearcastpodcast.com. There is a link. I think it says submit a question. Go up there, submit your question there. I will read it and uh, I will very likely put it on a future episode. So another piece uh, to talk about at the very beginning of the show is, um, so I am on social media, I do the Instagrams, but I'm very bad at it. So if you are interested in checking out my Instagram page, uh, it is Fearcast Podcast, to no surprise, right? You can check it out. I have a number of posts up there, a little bit about anxiety, um, some stuff I think is funny, some stuff I think is, uh, is, is helpful, um, but perhaps you decide. Um, so from time to time, I will get questions from you, the listeners, or suggestions or something to that effect. And sometimes they just disappear in my Instagram uh, black hole, and I have no idea how it works because I don't often spend time on it because um, I'm not a natural social media star. So I'm bad at it. So if, if you had a question and you messaged me and I probably said something like, hey, thanks for the question, and then I don't answer it, it's not that I'm being mean or it's not that I don't like you or it's not that I don't think the question is good. It's just I might have lost it. So the best advice I have for anybody who wants a question or wants a question answered on the podcast is to go over to fearcastpodcast.com and ask a question there because those go directly to my inbox and I have a whole filter designed just to grab those and flag all the questions so I know which ones are which and so I can organize them because uh, otherwise I will forget about it. Between recording this and having my full caseload and trying to run a business and trying to um, keep an almost two-year-old from just breaking herself, um, in addition to, I suppose, working on having a happy marriage um, or an effective marriage, however you want to call it. It's a lot of stuff going on, and social media just isn't what my brain is designed for. So 
for all of you who have sent questions in, I apologize. I will look again, but shoot them over to me at fearcastpodcast.com. That would be great. So today I'm going to be going over two questions. So I don't have a whole lot in the preamble today other than, you know what, I just hope everybody is doing well and trying to stay happy and trying to stay healthy, is taking care of their mental health and emotional health and relational health, and um, in addition to their body and all of that. And uh, I, I hope you guys are finding ways to be entertained and challenge yourself and to grow during this pandemic. Um, I think I've mentioned in a previous episode, I picked up guitar. I've been playing bass for 20 years or something like that, but I, I bought myself a little guitar and um, I'm uh, trying to learn to play electric guitar. I suck at it, I'm very bad at it, but I'm getting better because practice makes better. So um, if you are doing something out there that um, you are uh, challenging yourself with and are trying to improve yourself, let me know. I'd love to hear about it. Uh, it'd be a fun uh, topic for a future episode uh, for folks who are interested in sharing. So so this podcast episode, we're going to be going over uh, two questions. One question in particular, spoiler alert, is going to be talking about suicidal ideation. So I know that that can be a triggering topic for many people out there. It can be a very uncomfortable thought just in general, but it can also be a very triggering thought for those who are either having suicidal thoughts, who know somebody who has gone through that or who has experienced that, um, or this may be your obsession. So we're going to be talking a little bit about that in one of the questions. So heads up for that. But thank you all so much for uh, hanging out with this episode. And let's get on to the questions. Hi, Captain. I hope this message finds you and your family safe during this um, worldwide pandemic. And I'd like to thank you for all the work that you're doing with the FearCast podcast. It's been a tremendous tool alongside ERP therapy and uh, my road to recovery from OCD. So I'd like to ask two questions, one pertaining to suffering from OCD and the other pertaining to treatment. So first of all, uh, when it comes to feelings in OCD, most people talk about feelings of anxiety, fear, shame, dread, and guilt. But what rarely gets talked about, or at least I've yet to find it as I, in the articles that I've read, is people with themes such as harm or OCD or sexual obsessions, they experience feelings way beyond that. Uh, they, and I'm included in this, experience feelings of pleasantness or feelings of wanting it and feelings of attraction or crush-like feelings, feelings of being turned on or uh, etc. For me, these are centered around the chest and if there's a thing called groinal responses, I'd like to coin the term chesticular responses. I was told to have a sense of humor about this. But sometimes these feelings go as far as to give me urges. Not to do a compulsion, but to act out whatever ego-dystonic thought or feeling my brain sends as an impulse. I bring all of this up to ask, are these feelings included within the scope of OCD, or do they signify something else because they are outside the typical feelings of anxiety, fear, shame, dread, and guilt, when normally discussing feelings in OCD. 
All right, my second question focuses on ERP specifically. As I've been starting and continuing therapy, and I'm about a month in, after exposures, I sometimes notice that I am more than 100% convinced that what I fear is actually true. I'm beyond convinced that my fears are facts, and it seems as though my new reality is to live with this new identity with my feared consequence being true. Is this normal for people that start or are in the middle of doing ERP? And besides resisting compulsions, do you have any tips for people struggling with their minds throwing these intense perceptions of reality at them? Once again, thank you for all that you do for the OCD community, and I look forward to hearing back. Thanks. All right, so that question came from Shabazz. So um, thank you so much for asking that question and sending in the audio. So that was um, uh, very early on. If you have listened to very old episodes, when I first started this, I had a phone number that you could call to leave a voice message. And that is how I ultimately wanted this podcast to go, is to have you, the listener, ask questions with your own voice, your own words. It's so much more interesting to hear somebody else's voice than just to hear my voice for or half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour, however long these podcast episodes go. Um, so um, first, Chavez, thank you so much for sending that uh, question, that audio question in. Um, and it's also a great, great question. Um, so to address the first part, um, the testicular responses, yes, they are included in the OCD spectrum. Of course, we talk about anxiety and we talk about fear and we talk about that that discomfort and the shame and all the all the negative stuff of course that's the low-hanging fruit that's the stuff that of course we talk about um uh, in anxiety land and what we have to work towards accepting um and and yes these these periodic feelings of of attraction or pleasantness or crush like or good feelings and and the turned on feelings are can also be there now, we've talked about in the past before that you can even, beyond those, have feelings of emptiness and nothingness and bleh. And those are also acceptable feelings that we can have. Now, we're gonna, I'm going to broaden this out to, what, to say you're, you are experiencing unwanted feeling sensations. They're unwanted feeling sensations. They're not bad sensations. They're not... They're not in the left field of what human experiences or they're beyond what humans ought to experience. In a different context, you would want to have those feelings, right? If you were looking at your crush and you got these feelings, these lovey-dovey feelings in your testicular region, and um, you would say, oh, this makes sense. Oh, cool. Great. But if you're looking at a tree, or a 10-year-old, or if you are identifying as straight and you look at the same sex, or if you identify in gay and you look as the opposite sex, or if you look at anything and you just feel something that you don't expect to feel or you don't think should be there, that can be part of the OCD cycle. That can be this worry. Oh no, what if this means blank? I felt this, then that, right? Now, I'm also not going to sit here and try to make sense of the feeling that you have, because I don't think it's useful, because I think that you've spent probably a ton of time trying to figure out what the heck it means. Um, I'd say, stop trying to figure it out, because it doesn't make any stinking sense, right? 
it makes so much, it makes so, excuse me, it makes so little sense. You called me and you said, hey, Kevin, what's this all about? If you could have figured it out, you probably would have figured it out by now. And if it had made sense and it is a puzzle that could be solved, you probably would have figured it out within the probably hundreds of hours that you've spent ruminating about it. So, because you haven't come to a reasonable, balanced, um, satisfying, and long-term satisfying answer, I would say you are experiencing a human emotion, a human response that is deeply human, that is unexpected and in, in showing up in an undesired time. Just accept that that is your response. Now, you have also appropriately said, or you have, you have identified these things as ego dystonic or accompanying with an ego dystonic thought. So that's where we're talking about with OCD, right? You are feeling this feeling. It feels uncomfortable. You don't like it. And it is accompanied with a thought or a story that doesn't seem uh, consistent with who it is that you are. So therefore, we would call it an obsession. And we don't need to respond to pay any amount of attention to, or try to justify the presence of ego-dystonic thoughts. Instead, we respond to them as thoughts. We go, oh, okay, that. Hmm. All right. Thanks, brain, for that weirdo little thought, but I'm going to keep on moving, and I'm going to, instead of respond to the feeling that I have, as if that feeling genuinely means something to me, when my honest, true, deep-down self acknowledges that it doesn't, I'm going to respond to it in the way that I deep down truly would want to, which is, it sounds like for you to do nothing or to do the complete opposite of it. So your second question is also really interesting about uh, after you do an exposure, you feel 100% certain that your fear is actually true. How long does it take for that feeling to wear off? Because it does, right? It wears off enough to the point where you keep going back to your CBT therapist. It wears off enough to the point where you say it's ego dystonic, and it wears off enough to the point where you called me and said, what do I do about this? It implies that there is this up and down of being convinced that it's true and feeling like it's complete BS. That is a cycle that you can anticipate, that you can prepare for. And you can recognize, you know, I'm about to, you can say, self, I'm about to go into an exposure. Here's what I'm likely to experience. My anxiety is going to spike. It's going to feel really uncomfortable. And for a period of time after my exposure, it's going to feel super real. Okay. And you know what? Maybe this is going to be the time that it stays. Maybe this is the time that it, it, it stays forever. And it is true. To a certain degree, that's what we're doing in exposures. We're, we're, we're learning that our anxiety goes away, that we can tolerate the ups and downs of our anxiety. And in a certain backwards way, we're calling it bluff. We're saying, bring it on. Bring it on, anxiety. Your anxiety is suggesting that after you do this exposure, it feels 100% true. Okay, let's play chicken with your anxiety then. How long does it have to stay? How intensely does it have to stay before it becomes real, right? Is it that it's going to stay for a, a, a couple hours, 10, a day, a week? How long is that feeling going to stay? And the question is, are you willing to outlast it? Can you outlast it? You obviously have and you can. So, 
call its bluff the next time it comes up and says it's real. Go, well, I guess it is. And I'm gonna, I'm, then I'm going to be X until it goes away. Just say, this is how I feel. It's, an ex- it's accepting that feeling. It is a little bit of that eye roll approach where you're going, all right, self, I guess it's real, where you are saying, saying the words that it's real, but we also then don't need to turn ourselves into, into the cops or move or quit our job or break up a relationship because of it, because you have been you a long time. You know that there's going to be this cycle. So accept that cycle, but say, okay, self, If you're telling me my fear is 100% true and real, okay. I'm going to ride this out and I'm going to stick with you on this, but I'm going to keep living my life as it is, as I want to, as I've desired and and historically have wanted it to go. And we'll see where it goes. We'll see if it sticks. We'll see if it stays forever. So my approach to your situation is ultimately a lot of acceptance. It sounds like you're doing a lot of the right things and you're experiencing situations and responses that you didn't perhaps expect. And and that's okay. Stick with it. Ride those waves of anxiety. They feel uncomfortable, but you can get through them. They're going to go up. They're going to feel uncomfortable, and that thought-action fusion is going to be intense for you. That emotional reasoning is going to be intense for you. Anticipate that, right? Feelings aren't facts, right? So, it feels intense, doesn't, or it feels real. Doesn't mean that it is, but it feels real. So, all right, I guess it's real now. Self, we're going to ride this feeling out, and we're going to see if this time it goes down. Or this time it doesn't. Historically speaking, it sounds like every single time you felt it, it's gone away, right? What makes you think it's not going to go away again? So, give it a try. Now, of course, in this, we're taking a risk. Maybe this isn't, maybe this is the time it's not going to go away, right? I haven't died in a car accident yet. Doesn't mean that I can't or won't. Just means I haven't yet. So, I'm going to keep driving until I'm proven otherwise. I want you to keep going until you're proven otherwise. If you're proven otherwise, give me a call again. Let me know how it goes. But until then, keep riding that wave of anxiety. Go, this feeling will eventually come down because it always has, and I can power through this, and I'm stronger than this feeling and this thought. So, again, thank you so much for the question. Thank you so much for the audio question. I love it. Love it. It's awesome. So thank you so much. I hope my answer uh, made sense. I hope it helped. Keep pushing through. All right. So this question comes from Anonymous. Anonymous asks and kind of says, talk to me about OCD and suicidal thoughts. And then they put in parentheses, not me. They say, Is the ideation considered a compulsion to relieve anxiety? What advice would you give to someone from an anxiety disorder perspective? They go on to say, is this common or accompanied by a secondary diagnosis? All right, well, Anonymous, thank you so much for these uh, questions. And um, we are going to jump into this the best that we possibly can. So suicidal thoughts. So uh, suicidal thoughts, otherwise known as suicidal ideation, is the fancy way of saying suicidal thoughts, is a, is a very complicated and a very heavy 
topic. It's also very, very individual. So the reasons that some people might have suicidal thoughts or suicidal ideation will vary from person to person and will vary from situation to situation. So we're going to address some of those. I, I certainly can't get into the entire topic of suicidal thoughts and how do we address those and how do we work on those or how do we challenge those. That is going to be a much heavier and longer and deeper conversation that I think this, uh, the, the, and I don't think that this episode is going to accommodate them, but I will address these questions. So right off the bat, uh, suicidal ideation, as I mentioned, can be different for everyone. There's going to be a lot of overlap between anxiety and depression for everybody. I often say that if I see someone with anxiety, a significant amount of anxiety or OCD, I'm going to expect to see depression. It would be a surprise if someone is uh, overwhelmed by anxiety but feels fine about it. It's very atypical. Um, as a, a colleague of mine says, uh, it's, it's very depressing to be anxious. So we should see depressive symptoms showing up as well. Now, suicidal ideation can show up in both independently. Additionally, suicidal ideation can show up in any mental health disorder. So it's not just going to be in anxiety or OCD. It can show up across the board in any manifestation. And it can even show up for folks who, quote, don't have a mental health disorder. Now, before I go further, I should put a disclaimer that if you, listener, or any listener out there is in fact having suicidal thoughts or is having serious thoughts about hurting themselves or even killing themselves, call 911 or go to the nearest emergency room. Now, 911, of course, is going to be a American-centric number, emergency number to call in the show notes uh, of this uh, episode. So if you go to fearcastpodcast.com, um, I'm going to be including a link, I believe it's to Wikipedia, that has a list of every emergency and suicidal hotline that you can call in every single country. Um, so if you are needing to access that information, you can check that out. Uh, I'm also going to tag that on uh, into the into the find help link, because I think that will be um, important for those who might be experiencing these thoughts. So if you're questioning whether or not you're having suicidal thoughts, talk to a therapist and take the risk to talk with them about this stuff. Now, I'll, I'll certainly acknowledge talking about suicide, if you're having these thoughts, has a lot of shame attached to it. And this prevents people from talking about it. However, this is a topic of conversation that any good therapist is going to be comfortable talking about. And they're going to be more than happy to help you work through this stuff. Um, I, I often say my job as a therapist is to put myself out of a job. It's so that you never have to see someone like me again, right? Furthermore, I, I also say, I want to help you get back to a life worth living. And then I jokingly say, and it's a lot easier to do that when you're still alive. And that's because suicide is permanent, but the pain of anxiety is very temporary. Yes, anxiety is going to be an overall thing that we have in life. It's going to be lifelong, but the acute moments of pain are temporary and it's treatable. If you haven't been in therapy, start. If you've had therapy and you don't think that it works, 
try a different therapist or try a different mode of therapy. One piece that some people miss out on in treatment is the medication piece. And people sometimes have anxieties or worries about jumping into that pool. And uh, rightfully so, there's a lot of questions, but it's, it, it's there to help. It's a tool. It's not a crutch. It's a tool for you. In addition, to therapy and potentially medication, um, exercise can exercise can help. Don't give up on yourself and don't give up on trying to get better. All right, so l- let's get um, so now. That, so now that I got the disclaimers out of the way, an important disclaimer. Um, I'll address the question a little bit more directly. So suicidal ideation or suicidal thoughts are, are not a common compulsion amongst those with anxiety. That being said. Suicidal thoughts may become a compulsion for some as a source of relief or a brief sense of control. I'll go into a little bit of that uh, later. I also just tend to think that that every person who has ever lived has had a suicidal thought, at least very briefly. And to that point, everybody who's listening to this episode is going to have a suicidal thought thought, because we're talking about this, and we're thinking about this, and we're going to be considering things, and we're going to be delving into things. It's reasonable that your brain then jumps into that pool and is thinking about it. But that's not the same as having active suicidal thoughts. So how do we differentiate between compulsive suicidal thoughts versus genuine suicidal thoughts? So this answer is going to be incredibly difficult, and I can only really speak in generalities here on this podcast. If someone were here in my office, I'd be asking them more follow-up questions, trying to get the context of where the thoughts are coming from, how they're rooted, how the person is thinking about them, um, and that would help me to decide whether or not it's genuine suicidal thoughts or kind of a passive suicidal ideation, or even the compulsive suicidal ideation, which is part of the question. So to that point, um, so in, so in broad definitions, as we have talked about before, so obsessions, the term obsession is going to refer to anything that raises anxiety, and a compulsion is going to be really anything that we do to reduce anxiety. So if the suicidal ide- so if the suicidal ideation is a compulsion, then its function is to alleviate the anxiety and to make the anxiety sufferer feel better. Furthermore, if those thoughts were a compulsion, it would then not likely lead to them completing suicide or would not be more serious because it would be something that they would be thinking about to alleviate the anxiety. So it wouldn't be as connected to who they are, what they would like to do, but they're thinking about the thought to make themselves feel better, perhaps making themselves feel as if they have a handle on the situation and out some type of control. Someone who's anxious or depressed, of course, may get to the point of genuine suicidal thoughts. And they may get a sense of relief from the thought and also from the decision to do it. So that can trigger someone's anxiety even further about whether or not they are having true suicidal thoughts. If someone were here in my office and and talking to me about their thoughts, uh, again, I'd want to know whether they genuinely want to do it. 
This would involve not just having the thought, but also taking steps towards procuring means to do it, deciding on a time, a place, a process, and maybe have even rehearsed or practiced some of the parts of the plan. All of this leads to the decision that they would be high risk, in which case I would take uh, specific steps uh, uh, to prevent that or to help them uh, prevent that. Now, someone with suicidal thoughts as a compulsion would have to acknowledge that they actually don't want to die. This would certainly be one of the differentiating factors for, for me in trying to uh, discern whether this person is, is having genuine thoughts or whether or not the thoughts are compulsive. So, case in point, many of the people that I work with do report having suicidal thoughts at some point in their life. Now, while they are thoughts about suicide, they are most often or at least they're reporting this to me this way, they, they are most often passive suicidal thoughts, meaning that, that they're not taking them seriously. They're not, they're not actively wanting to do them. They're just thoughts that pop up in somebody's mind. When I question this person more, very often it, it, it shows that these thoughts are about wanting the pain of the anxiety to go away, but not exactly wanting to die. So they're wanting the anxiety to pass, but not wanting to end their life or not wanting to be done with everything. So one sticky wicket that sometimes shows up um, is something that is, I, I don't know if this is the official OCD land term for it, but it's the one I've used, and it's called suicide OCD. So suicide OCD is a, a another subtype of OCD. Ultimately, it's really just harm OCD, but it, the obsessional themes are all about suicide. What if I'm going to kill myself? Do I want to kill myself? Uh, do I want to kill myself? Will I eventually? kill myself. Compulsions for this, of course, are going to be avoiding knives, avoiding handling medication, avoiding being alone, um, resisting driving or driving near cliffs or bridges, things like that. Um, avoiding firearms, asking others for reassurance, reviewing their mood and questioning whether or not they are, they are right now depressed or how depressed are they. Um, also monitoring their thoughts to track the presence of the suicidal thoughts. Some will then excessively read about suicidal thoughts and kind of compare themselves to this person to see, did I have a thought like that? Or am I thinking it like, like this person? Now, I've, I've worked with a couple of folks who have this these obsessions. Um, now, oftentimes that they're, and, and this is not the case for everybody, but oftentimes these are going to be police officers or military personnel. And it can be ex exceptionally triggering for these folks because for a lot of them, they always have a loaded firearm on them while they were at work. They've got guns around the house, and they've got the training on how to effectively do it. So this thought about what if I, what if I use this against myself can be incredibly anxiety-provoking. Now here, notice that the suicidal ideation is the obsession, meaning that it raises anxiety and it's egotistonic. They don't want to do it. They're terrified by the idea of it. Someone who's genuinely suicidal ideation and seriously thinking about doing it, or has then made the decision, will most likely have syntonic thoughts about it, meaning that they're comfortable with them, they align with their goals and values, um, and, and they feel comfortable with it. Now, notice that they, they are not the same, and this person doesn't have suicidal thoughts to alleviate the anxiety, It, as I said, raises it. Now, back to the idea of suicidal thoughts being compulsive, um, I was thinking about this, and I couldn't think of any person I 
have worked with who has had suicidal ideation as a compulsion, so as a means of alleviating their anxiety. Um, I'm going into a lot of these um, perhaps uh, unnecessary details because I don't know. So I, I don't know if you're referring to compulsions as obsessions or thoughts of suicide as a as a as the suicidal uh, OCD uh, example I just gave. Um, but again, it, it would be it, it, it would be atypical, but not unheard of. Again, we've talked about this a hundred times. Um, our, our, our anxiety is only limited by our human imagination, and you and I can think about almost anything. And furthermore, it is sometimes very interesting the types of compulsions that we sometimes do to alleviate our anxiety. And sometimes they don't make any stinking sense why it is that X compulsion works to alleviate the anxiety of Y. It just does for some reason. I also find this interesting. Suicidal thoughts can also be a backwards problem-solving mechanism that we sometimes do. Um, people in OCD are in pain, to no surprise, right? People with anxiety, people with depression, they have pain. And they want this pain to end, and they will do almost anything in their power to end that. Often the things that they do, they do through compulsion, through changing their compulsions, through bargaining with themselves, sometimes through drug or alcohol use to try to alleviate that pain. Now, when we're feeling uncomfortable or fearful, um, and we, we want to obviously get rid of it, our, our brain goes into problem-solving mode. We feel triggered, and our brain then starts to suddenly consider various options to try to fix the problem or to alleviate the anxiety. And sometimes it just goes into left field. Some of the things are going to work, some of them are not. The brain, you know, if we're feeling triggered with our anxiety or feeling bad, our brain goes, all right, what do I do to get rid of this anxiety? How do I get myself to feel better? How do I get myself to feel certainty again? Well, I guess I could practice deep breathing. Well, another option is I could talk to my friends. Another option, I suppose I could, um, I could exercise. I could quit my job and find a new one. I could smoke some weed. Um, I could learn to knit. I could kill myself. I could call a therapist. I could watch a whole bunch of TV. I could watch The Office for the 50th time. Now, in that whole train of thought, some of those things are going to help alleviate anxiety. Actually, maybe, maybe argue that all of those things might alleviate anxiety, um, but some of those thoughts and some of those options are certainly going to be better than others and more effective both in the short term and in the long term. So to wrap this question up, if you are hearing this and certain that your suicidal thoughts are just passive and unwanted and or compulsive, then, then great then it would be helpful to work with a therapist on how to manage those, how to work with those. And if they're just passive and nonsense thoughts that don't mean anything to you and are just the weird stuff that we experience, let them pass and get back to and refocus on why you're living, what you are excited about. Now, if you're questioning whether your thoughts of suicide are more serious or you're seriously considering it, or even on the fence as to whether or not they're genuinely passive or they're genuine, then I would encourage you to go see a therapist and chat with him or her about them and to help discern whether or not they are serious thoughts or they are those nonsense thoughts. But 
if going to see a therapist is going to be a little bit too um, vulnerable, then calling a, 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 the National Suicide Hotline is going to be a great idea. So that's 1-800-273-8255. Give them a call. Take the risk. It, to the best of my knowledge, I believe that it is anonymous, but reach out to somebody. At the very least, reach out to a caring friend, family member who loves you, who wants the best for you. And again, to all of you listeners out there, I'm going to be posting that uh, th- that list of the suicide, uh, the suicide crisis lines in the various countries. My hope is to anybody out there who is having those thoughts or has had those thoughts, that you find a way to take care of yourself. And again, life is worth living. The goal of all of this podcast, the goal of every uh, mental health clinician out there, the goal of every caring friend and person out there is to help you get back to a life worth living. In the midst of our anxiety and depression, we can feel overwhelmed and feel like it's never going to end. And if our brain is telling us that this pain is never going to end, that is a lie. That is the worst possible lie that our brain can give us. And we need to push back against that and take back our life because that pain is temporary and you can get through it. So, so Anonymous, I... I hope this answers your question. I know this is a little bit of a meandering answer, but thank you so much for asking it. All right, everybody, that was the episode. That was episode 44. Four, four is the answer. I don't know what that means. Anyways, um, thank you so much for hanging through this episode. Um, if, if you would like to send in an audio uh, an audio question, you know what? I'm going to be honest. If you send in an audio question, it's probably going straight to the top of the list of all the other questions out there. I also get sending in an audio question. Not everybody's a cup of tea. It's a little bit of vulnerability. Your voice is going to be out there. I get it. Um, Shabazz, thank you so much for sending... Shabazz? Shabazz? I don't know. Anyways, uh, thank you so much for sending that in. Um, he, uh, he had recorded it and sent it my way and sent it as a Google Drive voice submission. So I don't know exactly how that was done, but if you would like to record your question and send it to me, um, I am more than happy to throw it on the episode. He had sent it through the website. He put it, obviously he recorded it somewhere, put it on a Google Drive, shared that link to me. I downloaded it, stuck it into the, um, the audio software, Bing, bang, boom, technology, I do's it. All right, everybody. So if you have a question, if you also would like to submit just a, a text question, go over to fearcastpodcast.com, send it over there at the submit a question link. Also, again, if you need help in your own recovery um, uh, and you would like to access that uh, that list of, uh, of suicidal um, uh, uh, or and access that list of, of resources for emergency uh, folks in your country, go over to fearcastpodcast.com. It will be on the episode page. I will also include it in the find help link. Please remember, everybody, that the Fearcast podcast is not a substitute for psychotherapy. If you need uh, a little bit of uh, some uh, advice in your own recovery, go over to fearcastpodcast.com. Go over to the ask help link. Now, as always, everybody, take a risk challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.